0: Welcome to the Unscripted Podcast. My name is Corby LaCroix, and the song you're hearing right now is called Great and Mighty One, available on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your music. But for now, here's your host and my friend, Aaron Conrad.
1: All right, everybody, welcome back to Unscripted for my studios in Old Hilliard. Exciting day today. Uh, just, uh, just again, I'm just blessed with every guest. But today's guest, Justin Kendrick, is the co-founder of and lead pastor of Vox Church in New Haven, Connecticut. Launched in 2011 with a mission to see New England transformed from the least churched region in the U.S. to the most spiritually vibrant place on earth. The church is initially planted near Yale University and now has nine campuses throughout the Northeast. Kendrick is a husband and father of four children, and he's also the author of a book called Bury Your Ordinary, Practical Habits of a Heart Fully Alive, and we're going to talk about another book today called The Sacred Us. So welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Absolutely. Uh, anything else that I missed there
0: uh, from no, your that bio? Was, that was quite the intro. No, I uh, <laughs> you basically covered it. I have a golden retriever named Winnie. That Winnie. wasn't in there.
1: Okay. But other than that, yeah. Well, I really want to, uh, we're going to get into the book a lot because I love this topic when uh, when it was sent to me. Uh, I, I just think it's so timely um, for everything. And we'll get into that a little bit. But let's talk about the most unchurched uh, place in the region. I know I live in Columbus, Ohio, and yeah. uh, it is very unchurched as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's changing a bit, but, um, you know, and I think I could probably be said about a lot of places, but uh, yeah. you you went really right to the heart of it um, with that yeah. mission. So could you want to talk a little bit, a little bit about that? Yeah, for
0: sure. So yeah, New England, I mean, of course, reaching people with the gospel is is rarely, uh, you know, easy and streamlined, right? It's usually clumsy, challenging, difficult. And uh, just a few months ago, I was in Arizona. And I was at a church, and they were praying for the 48 percent of people who don't regularly attend church in Arizona. And I almost fell out of my chair. I was sitting next <laughs> to my wife, and uh, I thought, "Wow, that means 52 percent of the people in this region do attend church regularly." Right. Which um, in my cities, that, that number is about two percent that do attend church regularly. So, two percent. Two percent. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks to George Barna and the Barna Research Group, they they rank our uh, our region of the of the 10 least least-churched places in America, I think new England's got nine of them. So, um, we are, we are right in the midst. And so you've got new Haven and Hartford and Boston and Bridgeport and Providence and Worcester. And, and so, um, so yeah, so when we, we started our church 11 years ago and I'm from this area and spent, you know, years trying to leave and, and felt a really clear and specific, um, call from Jesus to stay and to invest and to start churches and to reach people with the gospel. And, um, yeah, it's been 11 years of miracles of miraculous supernatural interventions from God that has allowed a very beautiful community to form and grow and spread. And so, um, yeah, we're in six of the 10 largest new England cities now with our, with our services. And then we have three other locations that are not in urban centers, but right outside, uh, cities. And, um,
1: there's been a real grace on what we are doing and we're excited for what's ahead. I mean, there has to be just simple math. Um, most people know I, I'm not that bright, but 2%. Um, wow, 2% and you have nine campuses. Um, yeah. That's uh, like, how did, how, did, how did that develop knowing mm-hmm. that you're up against 2%? Like, how did, how did you make that math work? Yeah. It, it, you
0: know, it doesn't work. People need to meet Jesus. That's the, that's the bottom line is right. right. your the majority of your church are going to be people who don't have a church background, don't have a Bible background. Um, you know, a lot of this area would identify as Catholic, but doesn't ever attend church. You know, they don't ever actually attend any service or participate in any religious, uh, events. They're just, they're just, uh, you know, kind of culturally Catholic in their own minds, you know? And so, Um, That's a lot of the population we're dealing with. And so when people are walking into church at our at Vox at our home church, oftentimes it's the very first time they've been in a church and it's the Mm -hmm. very first time that they're hearing the gospel. And so I am talking about Jesus and every week uh, I'm talking to someone who's literally never heard that he died for my sins and rose from the dead and I can receive forgiveness and grace. Like, like, so it's, to me, it is so much fun. It never gets old to watch the lights come on and watch people experience the kindness of God through Christ in a personal encounter. Uh, It's awesome. It's awesome. And so um, yeah, it's, you know, the math definitely doesn't work, but um, there's something contagious happening. You know, I think about, Uh, he's a friend now, a friend of mine named Javier, who um, met God in a life-changing way three years ago. His wife, his two kids, his mom, his brother, his brother's wife, uh, his cousin. Now they're all a part of the church, part of the family of God, because something is happening in their home that's changing uh, their
1: lives. Awesome. And I was going to ask you, because it sounds like, um, you know, with with that percentage, I was just wondering if you've had to um i don't know, this isn't probably the right word unprogram or deprogram mm-hmm. someone's misunderstanding or poor um uh, maybe a poor experience in faith yeah. prior but it sounds like that's not what you're dealing with you're dealing with people that have which in the united states is incredible that 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 yes. people have never heard the gospel that's insane i know
0: i mean it, it really you you know especially i spend a little bit of time in the bible Bell and and i the the culture shock is so uh, significant when you, when you spend most of your life in New England uh, and people don't even think about it or realize it until you're here for a while. And you, and then you start having conversations and it's like, wow, this is real. These people are really this ignorant to the, to the Bible you'd think in America, you know, but it is not a part of their lives. Um, there's two sides of it. One side is very exciting because, I look at it like wet cement. You are literally introducing people to the Bible for the first time in their lives, which is right. so much fun and very exciting. Um, you know, that's one side. the The other side uh, is, yeah, you're not you're not dealing with a lot of the muscle memory and built in things. So, like, you talk about giving, you talk about worship. Like last week at our church, I had to really explain that like worship is not like a karaoke, 20 minutes of karaoke. Like there's, we're, this is, we're actually a priesthood and we're offering a sacrifice to God and like just creating a theology around worship that there's just no grid for at all. And so it is fun because, um, you're, you're helping shape uh, a worldview in the hearts and minds of people. Uh, but it also comes with a, you know, significant amount of challenge. And sometimes you wish, boy, it'd be great to not start from the ground up with everybody. And we don't always have to, you get some transports. Oh, we came here from Florida and it's like, Oh good. You <laughs> <Thank> probably you. <laughs> know that's how right. to give and how to right. serve and right. how to, you know, some of the basics. But, uh, a lot of it, it's from, from, you know,
1: start to starting place. And that's absolutely fascinating. And it does lead into your book. Um, I think, yeah. uh, but, but one point that I want to make there too is with 2%, um, when they leave on Sunday, they're not surrounded probably in their coat, their working space. You know, no. like you said, I, I live in Ohio. I mean, most, you know, somebody you work with is probably a Christian or goes to church. Yeah. You probably, you might even go to church with them. Um, yeah. but those those people are going back to their places of work and, uh, whatever they do during the week and they're, they're not the surrounded one. by community. Um, so yeah. how's that been? Yeah, that's real for our students.
0: That's real for our, uh, our general population, right? Like my boys, I have three sons and a daughter, and uh, my daughter's three, but my boys are high school, middle school, elementary school. And, um, you know, they, they each have, well, it's changing now because a number of their friends are actually starting to come to our church, which is exciting. But uh, before that, they really have zero uh, Christian friends at their public school, you know? And so whatever it might be, thousand kids at the school, they don't know another Christian. Um, and now mm-hmm. as some of them are, are, are meeting Jesus at our church. And so now some of their friends are actually followers of Christ, which is awesome. Uh, but yeah, it is, it's definitely a challenge. Um, you know, and, uh, it's also, again, there's always that two sides, right there. It's also a really sweet opportunity. Right. Um, and, and it does allow for a lot of, um, powerful moments and conversations like we've had a lot of friends who have actually left Connecticut in the last few years, just because of the challenges of the public schools, you know, and Mm. some of the things that they're pressing down people's throats and everything else. And I get that. And I, I understand that tension, but I'm also like, Hey, can, can we send some missionaries into those public schools too? You know, can we have a few of our, our sons and daughters who actually have a foundation in Jesus and can, can, uh, compellingly winsomely show Jesus to
1: these people. And, and so, um, it's an incredible opportunity. It really is. Well, and thank you for taking the time to do that. I know we came on to talk yeah. about the book, but, but I think oh. that that that's helpful. I think for people, even myself included, uh, welcome to Unscripted, uh, to, to understand the um, landscape with which you're working uh, and writing this book. So can we transition to the book? Because I think that it yeah. does now make sense um, even more so. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, the book? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, this book
0: is not like, last year I was like, Hey, I have an idea. Let's write a book on community. Like that's fine. Um, you know, I'm not criticizing anyone else's process when it comes to writing, but, uh, for me, this is a, you know, it's a, it's a 30 year book. I just turned 40. And so, um, you know, uh, well, I guess 25 years you would say, cause as a young teenager, I met Jesus and I became fascinated at a young age, high school, uh, with the stories of the Bible, how Jesus took 12 guys and did life with them every day. And just lived life in this dynamic community. And of course, in our time church has often become this sort of institutional tradition that we show up on Sunday for X amount of hours or time or minutes. We exit, we go to our normal lives and then we show up again. And, and, the the Bible teaches a much more holistic idea about community, that we are the people of God and that our lives should actually be woven and knit together. And it doesn't mean that everybody has to live necessarily in a Christian commune, but it does mean that, you know, seeing them for 60 minutes or 90 minutes or whatever it is on a Sunday, uh, and then being completely disconnected for the other six days is not a biblical model of community at all. And so Um, This started for me in college. I I led uh, one guy to Christ at my university, and we moved in as as roommates. We added two more. By my senior year, I was living with nine guys in a two-bedroom apartment, all new followers of Jesus. It was crazy town. And then two weeks after graduation, I married my wife, and we bought a multifamily house. And we ended up inviting people that we had led to Christ or that were followers of Jesus into this home. We had eight of us living in this multifamily house. Our best friends bought a house about a block away. They had nine people in their house. When we started the church, we bought a second house. They bought a second house. Long story short, we had in a three or four block radius, 13, 12 or 13 houses together. And, And we were literally living out community every day, figuring out how do we do life together? How do we raise kids together? Now, this wasn't on some like backwoods in Utah. This was in the urban center in New Haven. A city that's built primarily around Yale University and uh, and Yale New Haven Hospital and a very urban environment, you know um, that uh, that we now had this little community. We jokingly used to call it the cul-de-sac because people thought we were crazy <laughs> and uh, and you know thought that we were doing something strange, but we were following the Bible, loving Jesus, and and uh, and we weren't this closed community. It wasn't legalistic. No one, you know, we weren't operating off of one purse. Everybody owned their own homes or rented or whatever. Uh, but we were intentional about our geography to do life together. And um, that was where the church was founded. And it was out of that that we eventually started moving out of New Haven to plant more churches and send little pockets of people. And so now uh, we've had nine come out of that. And uh, and they're continuing to start their own little pockets in Hartford and in Springfield and in Worcester right now. And, and so um, the point of all that is to say that during that process, we realized that Uh, church was never supposed to be a Sunday experience for a short window. It was supposed to be a holistic way of doing life with others. And so how do we help people who maybe aren't going to move into a Christian commune live this? And, um, and this, you know, this evolved into what we talk about as our seven principles of community. And that's what the book's about. The book is about these seven principles and how they can be applied uh, to any Christian context and really deepen, uh, and, and, and enrich, um, something beyond an institution and really into a movement and into a family.
1: I love that. Uh, you've lived this, like you've literally lived. they living it. <laughs> that's yeah. so, that's so cool. And cult of sec is maybe one of the funniest things I've ever <laughs> heard. <laughs> I love that. Um, uh, what an incredible story. And I, I think, um, You know, I think the thing for me when I look at it, too, my wife and I have this conversation all the time. You have kids. Um, I think our community, too, uh, can be. I know, you know, ours were all involved in travel sports. And so we were with the same parents every weekend, three times a week, sometimes in a gym, in a pool, in a baseball field, in a basketball court, you know. But it was the same people. and We were constantly we were doing life together, but not necessarily in the Christian context. So what I don't know if you cover that in the book, but what what are your thoughts on that? Because I think that's still community. Um, And if anything, it's our place to maybe um, be the gospel, be the hands and feet, be be Jesus to a community that may not know him. And we, we are in each other's lives constantly. Does that make sense? Oh,
0: big time. Yeah. I think, you know, I do think that I have two thoughts around that. One is I think it's probably the greatest, uh, opportunity for gospel connection with those far from God that any parent can have, you know, my boys all play sports and the number of conversations on the soccer field and basketball gym that I've had just, just about life with parents has been beautiful. And so I think if you have kids in that age range, um leaning into that as a community is huge, especially I, we always say that uh, hospitality is the new evangelism, you know, and so mm-hmm. like we're living in a time where people don't want to be sold. They just want to be loved. And so wow. um, and so we say, well, then leverage hospitality. In other words, hey, bring the cookies Invite people over for a pool party at your house after the soccer game. Just be hospitable. And in doing so, God opens up doors for you to genuinely share the love of Christ. And so I do think Christians should think less about handing out tracts and more about inviting people over for dinner. And so as we do that, it's transformative. And, And I think that actual travel sports is a huge opportunity. The other, I would say, the dark side of that is that you know, people need community and they're gonna get it somewhere. And if the church is just this machine that doesn't know how to produce genuine relationship, then they're all gonna to go to the soccer club and they're gonna get it there. And so for me, I think this is a real indictment on the church that people feel more comfortable on the sidelines with other parents than they do in the pews with other people. And so um, I think we have to learn from the soccer clubs about how to build community again in the church. Hey everyone, my name is Cami Prannell and I'm the Executive Director for My Unscripted. We hope you are enjoying today's interview. My Unscripted is dedicated to helping others find their voice, passion, and follow their dreams. Our team can help create websites, apps, YouTube channels, podcasts, media, and social content. Whatever your passion and vision, we can help. Our good friend Manny Ahomi of Samaritan's Feet once said, make sure your dreams and goals are big enough to create room for others to join you we've created room for you to join us too. find out more at my Now let's join Aaron for the second half of today's interview.
1: The next thing I want to ask when it comes to, we just came through the pandemic and the pandemic closed a lot of churches doors. Um, unfortunately pulling us away from community, we could not literally be together except for our families, you know, um, Uh, You know, I I know even our local church, I swear every Sunday, they're like, hey, come on back, you know, because because it it for which there was great things in terms of it opened up technology. So so churches that weren't streaming before are now streaming, which is awesome, reaching entirely new pockets. um, Wonderful. But I know most of those churches are wanting people to come back. Um, and, And I think this fed into when I saw this as well. Would you agree that that's kind of where we are? And I think this book probably helps. You know, maybe talk about that a little bit. Is we need to get back together again?
0: Yeah, I think you know, there there is an institutional side of church that I think there's a reckoning happening, right? And so, if I just if I just want if I just want people back in a building to pad my ego or meet my budget, well, then that's a deeper that's a deeper problem, right? One hundred percent. But I but I think that the I think that the church as a whole one thing that's been exposed is that we actually don't have a theology around the gathering. And so uh, the book actually talks a lot about that is that, Hey, uh, biblically, there's a very robust theology around the gathered people, Mm. but, but, in our time, we've 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 remember we've been feet, drinking from the fire hose of individuality and autonomy for the last 200 years in American culture. So everything says you're an individual, right? You're an autonomous self. You don't need other people. Uh, self fulfillment is discovered by self actualization, by reaching your goals, by meeting your needs, by enhancing your comfort, right? So that's sort of the air we breathe. That's the water we're swimming in in our culture, and and what it's produced, by the way, right? is people who are, I talk about in the book, friendly, but friendless, mm. right? So we all, you might be nice to each other, but you don't have five people that you'd call if you were dying of cancer, right. you know? And so, right. and so we, we, our relationships are an inch deep, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so there is this, this, this kind of moment right now where the church has the opportunity to step in and, and teach uh, a, a different way of doing relationship. And, and so when we talk about the theology of us, what we're really saying is why, do we gather as a people? And I think that most Americans think we're gathering for information transfer, right? And they think to themselves, well, if I'm just getting information, I can do that online, right? right. Like I can I can listen to a podcast and then sing songs in my car. So what do I need church for, right? right? But what we have to understand is that the Bible is very clear that the opportunity to know God that is available to us in the gathering is not available to us as individuals, right? So for example, in First Peter 2, Peter says that we are living stones being built into a spiritual house, which is a temple, right? Now, what he's saying there is that when we come together, when we gather, we actually form the temple of God. And the temple of God was the place where God brought his profound glory, right? The glory of God was always marking the temple of God. And so there's an experience with God, an encounter with God that only happens in the participation of the gathering. And mm. so, yes, we've talked for so long in America about a personal relationship with Jesus. That's fine. But just so you know, right, that's not actually in the Bible anywhere, wow. <laughs> right? That phrase, a personal relationship with you, it's not in the Bible anywhere because the entire Sermon on the Mount was written in the plural. You know, we read it as Americans, and in English it says, you are the light of the world. But in the Greek, it says, you guys or y'all are the light of the world. And <laughs> right? it's a, it's a right. plural statement. In other words, he's saying, together you make up the temple. Together you make up. And so there's something that happens in the gathering, the participation of worship, the participation of receiving the sermon that actually changes us in a way that we cannot experience in our bedroom by ourselves. Yes, have a personal relationship with Jesus. But the body of Christ, again, another illustration that the New Testament uses, tells us that if I'm a hand and I get cut off, it's grotesque, not beautiful, right? Um, and so in the same way, if I'm trying to live the Christian life apart from Christians, um, I'm actually creating something that's that's deformed. Wow! And so... Um, Again, th- there's an entire theology around this that I give the second and third chapter to that I think we've lost. And that's why so many of us, one in three right now, are going, uh, I don't need to go to church, right? I don't need to go to church. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I like to sing, you know, Elevation Worship or Hillsong, okay. whatever, whatever music I like in my car. And I listen to three or four great teachers on a podcast. I'm good. And I would say, uh,
1: you're missing something fundamental. Wow. And I, I, there's a couple of things you said in there. I've always said, I've always had my own personal belief that, that, uh, you're almost one of two things. You either have, uh, friendships that are, uh, an inch wide and a mile deep. So in other words, mm-hmm. very, you know, a small group that's very deep, or you have, I, I love that you said that. Cause I've never heard someone else say it before, but, but a yeah. mile wide and an inch deep, you know, you got a million mm-hmm. friends, but none of them are close. And I always think about, I keep hearing this lately. I don't know why it's very morbid, but, um, you know, the average hospital bed has room for six people around it. The average casket mm-hmm. has room for six people to carry it. Who are those people? You know, and that's a Come difficult on. question. It's morbid. But but think about that for a minute. Like you said, you know, cancer diagnosis, whatever it might be. Take a pause for a minute and say, do I have six people in my life that will show up to my hospital and be around my bed and be my village when I'm going through it? Whatever it may be, right? right. Um just very powerful. And there's something else that I read with, uh, with the book, um, in regards to, I think we're more connected than we've ever been. And we're lonelier than we've ever been. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, You
0: know, 61% of Americans now admit that they are lonely. And that's a big deal because, um, in America, remember we've been fed this line of individuality and autonomy to admit that you're lonely feels like a personal failure. I am not able to make friends. I'm, I am a, I am a failure because I can't make friends. So a lot of people and psychologists have studied this for years in America. A lot of people have a lot of shame around loneliness. They don't want to admit that they're lonely. So if you've got 61% of Americans admitting that they're lonely, boy, that tells me the number is probably closer to 80 or 90% of Americans that are lonely. And so I think there has to come a point where we say like, hey, our system of life is not working. You know, watch TV for six hours, spend five of them glued to my phone, have a thousand friends on my social and no one I can call when I'm hurting, post my deepest issues on Instagram, but not be able to talk to them in the quietness of my own home with my closest friends. Right. Like our whole system's not working. Right. And so I think it's a time and that's what the, that's what the book is about is like, don't we think it's time to to consider a different way? Right. Yeah.
1: But, and, and you know, social media, uh, which could probably be a whole podcast in itself. Yep. To your point, we we know that my neighbor got married or, you know, so-and-so had a birthday or, and so yeah. you go places and you almost don't even have anything to talk about because you already saw it on social media. And I hate that. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, I yep. hate that. Like, you can't ask questions like, Hey man, I didn't yeah. see you last weekend. Where were you? Oh, my daughter got married. Oh really? And now you have a conversation versus you right, go right, and go, right. Hey, I saw on Facebook, your daughter got married now it's over like there's no com- you know what i mean sure you can tell yeah. me about it but it's not real and i think it's it's um, robbed us of true conversation that's why i love this podcast honestly like yeah. you and i are having a conversation right now that yeah you know what i mean i i love this uh entire platform if nobody listens i i gain yeah. something every time from conversations like this
0: yeah and i think i think uh <laughs> you know undocumented conversations are the lifeblood of relationship and i think we have everything is posted, everything is retweeted, everything is Instagrammed. And so like the, the moments that, you know, Hey, if I'm going to open up and share about my brother and some of the hurt and some of the challenges, and can we pray for him? Like, those are the moments that we're losing. And those are the moments that knit hearts closer and closer and closer together, because um, everything's getting shared. Right. And so it's like, so, you know, I'm all for being transparent, but I think that there's moments that should stay between friends. Yeah. And I think that, you know, um, we, as a culture, uh, we don't know how to do that so well.
1: And I think some people, and I agree with you on that, but I also think there's a lot of people that just post highlight reels. Of course. They don't, they're not posting, they're not being transparent. And so when somebody is transparent, you're like, oh, wow. You know, you're almost drawn to it because most people, it's just their highlight reel. And now it's filtered and everything else and and edited and everything else. Yeah, of course. It's not, it's not real, you know, I'd rather see Mm -hmm. real. I really would. And I, I I hope, I hope we can somehow gain that back. How do we get it back? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, we follow,
0: uh, principle one, (laughs) which is this idea. The first biblical principle in the book I talk about is, is this idea of proximity, that proximity provides opportunity that we have to understand the power of just showing up. That when you show up for a small group, when you show up for a conversation over coffee, when you show up to worship Jesus, uh, the gathering provides an opportunity for God to do things that he will not and does not do otherwise. And so valuing and actually prioritizing uh, getting close to others in a physical environment is, is really principle one of community. And it sounds so simple. And yet most of us have scheduled it out of our lives. You know, in the, in the book, I share the story of a, of a woman named Pia Ferenkov, who, um, she died a number of years ago. And when she was discovered, she had died in her garage, in her car and, uh, a repairman who was coming to her house, found her body. And when the medical examiners got there, they realized that she hadn't died the day before or the week before Pierre Farenkoff had died almost five years, 1,817 days before they found her. Oh, my gosh. She had nine siblings, and for almost five years, no one in her life – she was 44. No one in her life ever called, ever checked on her, ever knew, and she lived in a neighborhood. Her neighbor was cutting her grass, and for five years, no one cared. Wow. And that's the type of world that we're living in. It's, a, it's an extreme example, but it's an example – that I think resonates because it's so unbelievable, but we have isolated ourselves in such a large degree that, Hey, my bills are paid online. My, you know, food is delivered on a, you know, in a, in a Uber eats my, everything's automated that I don't see
1: people. Right. And in, in that way, um, we've lost something. Wow, man, this has been fantastic. Um, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to read the book myself um, because I think, I I just, this resonates with, I think anyone listening, it has to. Mm -hmm. And if not, we probably should press pause and just think about it for a minute because I bet it does resonate with you. You just don't realize it. Uh, I think we all know it. And it's almost like one of those things where we all know it. We just don't want to talk about it. Like we're just kind of ignoring Mm -hmm. um, what's happening and uh, we need each other more now, now more than ever before. Uh, I, I just believe that. I really do. Like we need, we need each other. Um, yeah, I agree. And I, I think
0: we also were at a pretty interesting uh, moment in time post-COVID because the the landscape has been shuffled. Relationships have changed, right? We've all lost some friends, maybe gained some friends, but we're sort of at this moment where the cement is wet and we we can ask ourselves, what do I want community to look like in my life? you know? And, and I think we're at a moment where we can step into possibly some new habits, some new ways of living and um and so it's an exciting time too can this be used as a workbook for a small group oh yeah absolutely so uh, actually our church right now uh all across our 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 nine locations we have over 200 small groups going through this material and it is that's where the rubber meets the road i mean we teach it on sundays and that's fine um but ultimately it gets flushed out in that small group so Um, At the sacred there's a free small group guide that, you know, you can download that kind of walks you through uh, nine different gatherings that, that help you understand these seven principles. And then how do I apply them? How do I practice them? How do I take next steps in them? And they're challenging. I mean, I, a couple months ago I recorded the audio book and, and uh, I mean, I wrote the book and I was like really convicted about, you know, two in particular of the, of the uh, principles that I was like, I need to, I need to focus on those because I'm not, I'm not leaning in right now. And, and so I do think they kind of transcend. Nobody arrives. It's
1: not like, Hey, I live these perfectly. No way we're in process. I love it. And actually I'm, I'm talking to some guys now that have uh, wanted to do a kind of tight knit small group, um, so this, this may be it for us because I may be the guy that you mentioned that streams and listens to elevation in my car. So. Hey, the <laughs> wrong with that, right? <laughs> Thank God for it, right? I'm grateful for the resource, Absolutely. but,
0: but maybe there's more, right. you know, and, and that's what I think we often, if it's an enhancement, that's great. If it's a supplement, then um, we end up isolating, yeah. you know? All right. You mentioned the website. Can you mention it again? Where do they find this uh, the yeah. website? Yeah. Sacred, TheSacredUs.com. Everything on there is free. Um, and uh, and that's where you, know, you can get. There's videos. There's a small group guide. Um, anything that just helps people engage uh, with community, uh, we tried to load it up on there. And then uh, VoxChurch.org, V-O-X, VoxChurch.org. There's a number of, of teachings about the material in the book. And uh, in the teachings, I try to go beyond the material in the book and sort of give another layer, another flavor to it. Uh, but again, the goal with all of this is just to challenge people to take that step. That's the second. <laughs> the second principle in, in biblical community is that vulnerability creates connection, that until we really start to step out into vulnerability, we can't build those deep bridges and, uh, and really connect. So it's going to take vulnerability and, and I try to outline uh, a path to get there.
1: Any small group I've ever been in, I always call it the gift of giving second. I've mentioned it many times on this podcast. It's the gift mm. of going second, and uh, when one person uh, <laughs> when one person steps out and says, "I'm dealing with this, uh, I'm yep. going through this." It is amazing. It is magical what you see happen in that circle or that room or that, that living room or around a table. Uh, It instantly changes the climate of the room in the best way possible because somebody can now go second and say me too you know, but you got to get there as a group. You can't just do it the first time. Maybe you do. I don't know. Um, But I think you got to get there as a group. You got to really get that foundation as a group where there's trust, you know, where I'm going to put myself out here. uh, And I know that you aren't going to reject me or make me feel, you know what I mean? Uh, I think, but there's so much magic that happens in those kind of groups. So good. Uh,
0: So good. Yeah. We, in the book, I talk about this idea that um, nobody likes to go first. It's so funny that you say that. And, and I think the way, that, that I've always, it's helped me uh, go first in the moments that I have to be honest about something and, and confess it is to remind myself and, and teach myself that I'm actually going second, right? Because Jesus already went first, exactly right? He hung naked on the cross. He was vulnerable and fully exposed. He was ashamed and uh, ridiculed and embraced those awkward, challenging uh, shameful moments, uh, so that I could have the confidence to step in and be honest with, with others as well. And so, you know, the more we learn that like, Hey, God's become vulnerable for us. And if that's truly real, then somebody can step forward and go, go, go first, but technically second, right. In sharing, um, and open up the door. Yeah. But it always does take that, that pioneer. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Man, this has been wonderful. Um,
0: where can they buy the book? Yeah. Anywhere books are sold, right? So, um, you know, uh, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, uh, are the probably easiest places. I think there's a link to, uh, to it on the sacred as well. Um, but yeah, wherever you buy books, this book should be there. So, um, you can get it most places and, uh, yeah, I hope it's
1: an encouragement to people. I do too. And I, I think it will be, I hope, uh, anyone listening today has found that I like to run through the links a few times in case somebody's driving or on a treadmill or walking. Yeah. Uh, can we run through them one more time? Yeah, sure. us.com is where you can get some free resources.
0: And then VoxChurch, V-O-X Church.org uh, is where you can get some sermon content on this topic. And then of course, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you like to buy books, that's where you can purchase the book itself. Awesome.
1: Man, thank you. Uh, thank you for your time. Oh, thank pleasure. you for the book. Thank you for your heart for this. And uh, hopefully, you know, it, it helps others. Uh, let's get back in community again. We got We got to be together. Yes. And amen. Appreciate you, brother. Talk soon. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of the unscripted podcast with your host, Aaron Conrad. Make sure to like, share, follow, and review on your favorite podcast platforms. Also make sure to check out my song great and mighty one on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you find your music. We'll see you next time on unscripted with Aaron Conrad.